see you all this morning. I, uh, um, if you haven't seen me preach sometime, um, I'll, I want you to just kind of keep your eyes on me because I tend to move around a lot because I'm wearing my Fitbit and I got to get my steps in. <laughs> so I'll be running up and down a lot. Today's passage is going to go with, uh, we're going to go to Luke for a parable, one of Luke's nice little parables. Um, it is in, said the book of Luke in the New Testament. I have to find it here. It is chapter, there it is, it's 16, and it's verses uh, 19 through 31. And I think you've heard this passage before. It's about the rich man and Lazarus, one of those, those ones that, that we think we know kind of what's going on, but makes us feel a little bit uncomfortable. Listen for the, the word of God, verse 19. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate laid laid a a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked the sores. Good image. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him off to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and he saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I am in agony in this fire. Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received all the good things, while Lazarus received bad things. Now he is comforted here and you on agony. And between all this, between us and you, was a great chasm that has been fixed. So those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross from there to us. But the rich man goes on, he says, that I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house. I have five brothers, let him warn them so that they will not come to this place of torment. And Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said, look, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. This is the word of God. Oh, Luke. Luke, one of his wonderful little stories. You know, I got the opportunity to, I was going to be able to, to preach here, and it's like, oh, it's, it's parable season. Yeah, parable. Give me, like, prodigal son. Give me, give me um, a good Samaritan. Give me the sower and the seed. I got those. I get this. Maybe it's right. It's one of those, those ones that kind of make you feel uneasy. It's like, well, what did the rich man do? He, he just didn't give him some scraps. He ends up in everlasting torment. It's so much so that I could not find a children's message to go with this, with this, uh, with this passage. I looked in about 20 different sources. And, uh, uh, but it's not a new passage, right? We're talking about wealth and we're talking about the poor. And in the Bible, it's all over the place. There's about 908 verses in the Bible I deal with, with wealth and, and the pitfalls of having wealth. There's about 3,000 verses in the Bible about, about the poor. So this is not a new subject. Yeah, but let's look at it. We've got two main characters and other characters in here. We've got, 
we got the rich man of Lazarus, and I'm going to do this the whole time. So you're going to be this, and you're going to be that. I apologize for it, but that's a visual. So I got, I got both sides here. But the, we got the rich man, right? Wearing all sorts of, he's got it going on. He has got, he's dressed in beautiful clothes. He's eating wonderful food. He's listening to jazz music. I don't know what he's doing, but he's, he's got it going on. In the, um, in the message Bible, I love the phrase they use. It said, wasting his days in conspicuous consumption. That's my new favorite term, conspicuous consumption. It's going to be my password on my laptop next time. Conspicuous consumption. It really kind of gives a, an image. On the other side, you've got Lazarus. Poor man, probably alone in this world. He's got, he's got sores everywhere. He's probably really scraggy looking. Probably smells bad. He's skinny. He's been literally thrown down at the gates between uh, Lazarus and himself. So you've got these two different characters. And being Luke and being Jesus, you know this is kind of this is where this direct is directed towards, right? This is directed towards our friends, the, the, the Pharisees. If you look in the Bible passages before this, you've got uh, the chapter before, you've got the lost chapter. You've got the lost sheep. You've got the lost coin. You've got the lost son, the particle son. So he's trying to get them to identify about what's lost in this world. And then he turns the attention to, to the money. The passage right before this is about the shrewd manager who... Who, uh, who gets rewarded because he's shrewd with his, with his, with his, with, uh, his, his uh, boss's money. And you've got this one here. Really think that Jesus is trying to help make the connection between what's lost and what you have. I'm not sure if it's there. Because you know the Pharisees, the knock on them is they, is they did everything showy. They wore the big purple linens. They, they, they proclaimed how much they, they loved and praised God. They proclaimed how much, look at the big check I'm writing for church. Not a bad thing, but uh, everything was to impress people. It was all outward. It was all superficial. It wasn't relational. It was, look what I can do. So the story is not so much about, to me, about rich man, poor man. This is more about the differences between people, between one set of group, some set of people, and another people. I think the boys here really demonstrated that well about what we think about differences like that. And then I wanted to focus on what this separation is, that at one point in the beginning, it's a gate, right? There's a gate between, uh, between the rich man and Lazarus. And then they both die, and it turns into this great chasm. And I've always heard this term, and I didn't know exactly what chasm meant, so I looked it up, and it said a chasm is a fissure. I looked up what fissure meant. And it is, it is what, what we kind of picture. It is, it is a separation in the earth. But, it, but the main part is the separation, sometimes between people. And right next to it, this little picture of Wile E. Coyote is next to it. I think we can all image that, right? I'll, I'll pick that. We've got, we all remember those cartoons. On, you got Wile E. Coyote up on one ledge. you got the roadrunner on the other side. And, and he couldn't cross it, no matter what Acme rocket or big rubber band he would use. That was my favorite, backing up the rubber band. And he couldn't cross it. In this chasm in this story... It's not between heaven and hell. That's not what Abraham says. Abraham says, between us and you is a great chasm. It's between the people. It's the relationship. It's between what the rich man does and what Lazarus does. That's where the chasm comes from. It's not monetary. It's not societal. It's not the physical distance. It's the relationship. 
It is, it is how they interact with each other. That is the great chasm that they're talking about. How do these chasms come up? If we look back at the history of, of our Pharisees, we can kind of see um, uh, what we're talking about there because their teachings kind of led to that. If you look at the Pharisees and what they did, they went to synagogue every time they were supposed to go. They gave money when they were supposed to. They followed the rules of the old scriptures to the letter on how they, they, they understood them, how they were taught them. And the poor, they were, they were not considered equals. In the book of Deuteronomy, which my uh, youth group loves, because there's lots of rules, well, some of the boys love the, the Deuteronomy, all the rules in it, um, it talks about a particular curse that God would be followed who disobeyed God's law. And, it, and Deuteronomy reads like this, the Lord will strike you on the knees and on the legs with grievous boils or sores, of which you cannot be healed from the soles of your feet, crown of your head. Pharisees were taught in the lessons that poor people were not their equals. They were not people. They were, they were cursed by God. So it, it, we have to kind of stop and say, okay, well, you can't just blame the Pharisee because he, he didn't pay anything. He, he, his upbringing was his strict teaching, and they weren't taught about the relationships between people, just talked about the rules. Make no doubt, this parable is, is a wake-up call. It's intended to wake a call for all of us to see that gate, the beginning of the story, that gate that separates those guys, and tend to that gate and open that gate, and don't let this kind of chasm balloon. Because we love to, like, these parables, we love to put ourselves in a position of who we are. Well, we're not the rich man, because we wouldn't do that. We're not going there. Well, you know, we're more like the poor man. Maybe we're more like the five brothers. You know, those are the ones that, that, uh, that the rich man says, oh, go tell my brothers so that they don't end up where I am. Maybe that's where we are. You know, how are we going to learn? How are we going to learn the lesson from this? How can we not fall in the same pitfalls that the rich man did? How do we stop our gates that we have right now, thank you boys, from turning into chasms? Because we kind of, sometimes we follow a little checklist too, don't we, as being good Christians? What we have to do, we can follow, if we do A, B, C, D, and E, then that makes us a good Christians, and we know we're going to, we got a little checklist and God will be happy. And that's the biggest pitfall of all. I remember a few years ago when I was, uh, uh, I was always an inspiring uh, preacher in, uh, in the church in California I was at, and, uh, and an accountant, so I'm not sure how those two get together. But I was actually working on a sermon way back when, and I was calling it Debits, Credits, and God, because that's what accountants do. Thank you for getting the accounting joke. Um, debits, Credits, and God, meaning that, that you've got your debits in life and your credits in life, and you build your balance sheet and, and, and everything you've got there. And, and when it comes time to meet God, you show him your balance sheet and you say, this is what I've done. Look at, look at what I've done with what you've given me. And, and, and you get into heaven that way. And my point in the sermon was, um, that's not how you get into heaven. And I think I finally found the passage that backs it up. I think this passage right now backs up. I should have called this sermon Debits, Credits, and God because I think this passage backs up. It's not so much what we learn. It's about who we are. Remember when the story, 
Abraham says, let him listen to Moses and the prophets. I think God demands so much more of that. He demands so much more than just listening is important. But this life is about participation. This is an active life. This is an active community. This is active worship. We have to open those gates. We have to reach out to those in need and reach out to those who have differences. I can't be building these walls over here just because, you know, he wants to root for the Seahawks. Let him. That's great. He knocked down the wall. There doesn't have to be walls between us. And look at that rich man's response to all this. When he's finally, his wake-up call is, it's kind of a wake-up call because he figured what, all he sees is the result. I don't want to be in this torment. I want to be where it's nice. So, so let me see. Uh, why don't you have Lazarus dip his finger in water to, 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 to cool my, my burning mouth? It's about somebody else to do something. When that doesn't work, he's, he says, uh, okay, then have Lazarus go to my brothers and tell them about it. Once again, the rich man doesn't get it. He thinks something else has to happen. It's he. He's the one that has to change. He has to go and dip his finger in water and give it to Lazarus. He's the one that has to tell his brothers. He's the one that has to do this action. We can't have somebody else doing it. And in all this, he still fails to comprehend the fact and to treat Lazarus as a person, as an equal, deserving of passion and respect and love. Because this real chasm that I'm talking about is the one that's inside of us. It's our own making. We're creating these chasms. We, we set up people with labels. We have, we have people take sides. Uh, we create chasms. The more that you do that, the more you label somebody, the more that, that, that we put them in categories, the more people are going to dig in. Create a chasm. You know, one of our favorite ones this you know, year ago was talking about the, the, our labels, you know, the 1% and the 99%, and you were in one or the other. And, and I don't know if that ever did anything to, to help the situation, but boy, we set up some beautiful labels there, and we dug in, and the more we dug in, the bigger chasm we, we created. And that's all relative to 1% because we're thinking in a smaller box. Samantha just finished her college classes. Yay, Sam. And she got herself, oh, it gets better. And she got, her, she got herself an internship, which is good, and it gets better. It's a paid internship. Woo! Nice. I love it. So, but with her salary... She's actually, when you look at the statistics, she's in the top 1% of the global earners in this world. So you're part of the 1% now, honey. So the 1%, we thought, we think, we think about this country more or less. When you think more globally, the more you put it out, the labels don't mean quite as much. You know, we have a great example of taking sides with our old friend around here, Colin, Colin Kaepernick. can't even say his name right who's in town today, right? He's not here, Colin? No? Okay, good. So Colin Kaepernick, uh, as you know, with his thing is when they were playing for his, uh, for his football team, when they played national anthem, he sat down because he wanted to make a statement. He wanted to start a conversation about something. And quite frankly, this country went berserk, right? All of a sudden, it was like, oh, he's a, he's a flag hater. He's a military hater. He's a police hater. Uh, he got military people burning his... his, uh, his um, Jersey on their front lawn, 
and you've got sides, and you've got people digging in, and we created this huge chasm because one man wanted to make a statement. He wanted to start a discussion. He wanted something relationship there. I'm not really defending him as a person, although make $20 million a year and be a backup quarterback, it's good work you can get it, right? Well, that's not bad. But just look how, how antagonizing that was. Look what's happening in South Carolina with the protests down there. Well, both sides want the same thing, but, but it, 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 people are digging in so much, those chasms that are going, it's, just, it's, it's just causing violence. So what do we do about these chasms? We can identify them real easily, but we can't cross them. Wally e. Coyote proved that time and time again. Every Saturday morning, you cannot cross a chasm because it's just too wide. You can take down a gate, but you can't cross a chasm. You must fill in a chasm piece by piece. If you've got people on the opposite ledges, you've got to start filling in the bottom piece by piece, brick by brick, rock by rock. We have an example, right? Jesus came down and showed us how to do that. When Jesus, by the time Jesus came down, we had the greatest chasm we've ever had in this world is that we've had the chasm between God and sinful people. And there was no crossing that. What Jesus did is he came down to build relationships. He came down to put his hand across and make friends with people who had not made friends with other people before. He came down... Um, with people that are differences and tried to bring them together. He had to lay a lot of foundation and stop building that up to that point. And eventually, he died on the cross for us. And at that point, the chasm was filled enough that we were able to cross it. But it took a lot of work. I think if people realize that he is the God of all, I think that helps. I think that really helps. Because the, the song that we're singing at the end is uh, God of the Sparrow, one of my, my favorite songs from way back. And, and it talks about he's the God of everything. And if we realize he's the God of everything and we live our lives for them, that, that he's the God for you and for me and for them and for everybody. You know the song, it's the God of the Sparrow, God of the whales, God of the stars, God of the offensive linemen. I don't know what it is, but there's a whole lot of what he's gods of. So this story here, it's not a story about what happens in the hereafter. This story and these chasms we create about how we live our lives right now. And he's not asking, you know, Luke and Jesus aren't asking us to make judgments here about who gets what and, and who dresses in what and who gets to eat what. But really thinking about the differences in the gates and recognizing these gates that separate us right down the middle before they turn into chasms. And the to not acknowledge and deal with these gates, that separates our souls from each other. It's like the walls that the boys built here that we built that they were smart enough to knock down. It's easy to build walls. It's harder to knock them down. But that's the beauty of this parable. We get to rewrite the ending of this parable. We get to set it up so that the chasm is not there. We get to set it up so we identify the things that make the gates between us, rewrite this parable and have a different ending. But how is kind of the great question. How do, we, how do we help open the gates? How do we help fill these chasms? 
Well, Jesus really challenges us, doesn't he? Everything I read about him, he challenges us how we handle our differences. It's setting up the the challenge that we see differences and how we handle with them, how we strengthen our lives, how we strengthen his message, how we strengthen his kingdom here on earth, how we strengthen each other. So think about those, those differences that we have. I mean, certainly this time of year, every four years, we have these wonderful differences between us. Uh, there's so many political differences, there's so many monetary differences, there's so many football teams like left twix versus right, right twix. You know, we have these huge differences here that we're trying to, to deal with. And if we don't realize that, do we treat ourselves with respect and in relationship, we're just going to build other chasms. The more we dig in, the greater that chasm is. So, okay, we have differences. How do we stop this from happening in the first place? I love the whole thing about building relationships, whether it's big or whether it's small. And quite frankly, I'm a very judgmental person, and I look at something, and I need to stop doing that. It, it's amazing the little things you do that prevent you from building a, uh, a, a gate. Opening a door for somebody when they come through, smiling at strangers, talking in an elevator, you guys ever talk in elevators? I don't. I look ahead and, and uh, oh, or God forbid, you're on, the, you're on the road and a car cuts in front of you. <gasps> Let them go. <laughs> Let them be there. You're actually building a relationship because what's the converse of that is that they cut you off, you beep on your horn, he beeps on his horn, the woman over there is beeping on her horn, you got road rage, you get an accident, and you've created a chasm. Now this is something you've got to deal with. Simple things. Let them in. It actually builds a relationship. You may not know it. Relationships are not like this. You don't, you don't understand the, the, uh, the effective relationship. Those take long term. Maybe down the road, maybe what's that, that pay it forward over? You let them in. Later on, he lets somebody in, and if he would have beat his horn, he would have hit somebody later on. You know, we watch for that. Sounds easy. Not that easy. I work down in um, Lower Queen Anne, and so every day I go out during lunchtime. I take a walk, and uh, probably most every day I come across somebody who's out there asking for money or food or something. And um, you know, when you see it all the time, it's you know, what do you do? Obviously, there's sometimes I give money, sometimes I don't. Um, but for the most part, there's not a lot of eye contact. There's, there's, it's so, far, so easier just to avert your eyes than to actually look into somebody, look in the eyes of someone who's less fortunate, to see them for the child of God that they are and that you are. Growing up in Massachusetts, we... Um, we, uh, you know, we had these certain traditions that we did for Thanksgiving and Christmas Eve. And being good New Englanders, we did them the same way every time. Right, Sam? Same way every time. And I was an anxious little kid. And um, I remember, like, we had Christmas Eve, and, and like, if somebody was, was visiting from out of town or, or somebody that, that my brothers went to high school with that's in town for the reason my parents went across it, sure, come on over and spend Christmas Eve with us. And I'm going, no. That's not how it's done. We got, we got the thing. We got the, we got the, we got the hot chocolate. We got the cookies. And we got, we got the manger. Set up the manger scene. And this is the way it happens. 
and you, I don't want somebody else coming in. You know, God, they could mess up the dynamic of it. My parents were right, by the way, so I can say that now because they're not listening. They were right. It's, it's building relationships. It's not setting up any kind of a gate. We stop building gates. We don't head to the chasms. This church does a nice job with a lot of gate breaking down. Every time you guys take a group of kids over to teen, um, teen feed, you're, you're reaching out. You're breaking down a gate. Every time we have that Backpacks for Kids program in the, in, a, in the summer and fall time, we're not letting any gates up there for people that need us. Every time we do a Walk for Hunger, every time we do a blood drive, we're reaching out, stopping the gates. My mother-in-law is here. And her church up in, up in uh, Mount Vernon, they do a great thing is that they identify people that need like yard work done. And so when they identify somebody, just a whole group of people, like they, they, they take all these people's yards and just and work in their yards and make it into a really thing of beauty. Whether they're church members or not, it doesn't matter. It's reaching out. It's not allowing any gates to be up there. It's building relationships, whether you're going to talk to that person again or not. And it's always reaching out. It's not reaching out with a, with a stop sign. It's reaching out with arms out, with palms outstretched, or a handshake. Because every time we do this, every time we focus on this, we focus on loving each other, on building community, and on building God's better world. And we fill in these chasms. So my wish for you this morning is to, is to let your gates be opened and let your chasms be filled. Amen.